Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning thankful for your grace. Thankful, Lord, for the mercy that you have shown us. Thankful that you have not dealt with us according to our iniquities, but that you have offered to separate our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. That though our sins were as scarlet, you have promised that if we put our faith, hope, and trust in you, that you will make them as white as snow. Lord, we know that you are the God who saves and that you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that when we call upon his name, the name of Jesus, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, when we call upon that name, we will never be ashamed. For we know that as Paul wrote in Romans, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that salvation, which was free to us, but which was so costly to you. Thank you for that, Lord. Be glorified in this place. Move upon the hearts of your people. Stir our spirits this morning and rouse us, Lord, to greater devotion to you. Lord, if there's any here this morning who does not know you, who has not been born again, who has not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, it is my prayer that they would not leave this place this morning without having rectified that situation. Send your spirit to convict us of sin. Send your spirit to communicate to us your love. And may your word go forth this morning and not as it never does return to you void, but may it accomplish the purpose for which you sent it in our hearts today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning, if you will, to the last passage that I had you read from last week. It'll be the first passage that we read from together this week. That is Romans chapter 10. Now, while you're turning there, I actually want to um, share something with you. This is something I don't normally do. I don't, I don't share a lot of poems from the pulpit, um, even though I enjoy writing them and reading them myself. But this week, as I was teaching in my English class, I had occasion to go over one of the great American poems a very, very famous poem. The moment I start reading it, you're going you're gonna to know what it is. In fact, if I mention even the author, you could probably guess the poem. It was published in the year 1916, written by a gentleman by the name of Robert Frost. And as I was thinking about and praying about today's message, this poem came back to mind because I think it represents something that each and every one of us deals with in our lives on a regular basis. And the title of the poem is The Road Not Taken. And in this poem, Frost writes, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, 
though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet, knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. This poem is often thought of as, a, as an ode to individualism, right? I took the road less traveled by. But if we look at the title, we realize that's not what it's really about. Even Frost said this was one of his tricky poems because it isn't the road less traveled by. That's not the title. The title is The Road Not Taken. You see, the, the, the narrator in this poem has come to a fork in the road and he's uncertain as to which path he should take. How many of you have ever experienced something like that? You come to a, a fork in the road and you're not sure which path you should take. You ever hear Yogi Berra? Yeah, that great baseball manager from years gone by. You know what Yogi Berra said? If you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> Don't leave a fork lying in the road. That was his point. But that's not the point of this poem. The point of this poem is you come to this moment in your life where there's a fork in the road. And you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. Because you see, if you don't make a choice, if you don't make a decision, then you simply end up standing there in the middle of the road, not going anywhere. The inability to make a choice, the inability to make a decision is paralyzing to our lives. And so many of us, fearful of making the wrong choice, choose rather to make no choice at all. And so we end up standing there along with Frost's narrator, standing at a fork in the road. And what he does as he stands there is he looks down one as far as he can see, and then he looks down the other as far as he can see, and he says, well, I suppose that one maybe was less traveled by, but you know, if I'm honest, they really look ab about the same. And you know, sometimes that's what life is like. We come to this point where we have to make a decision and, and both options have their advantages. Both options have their reasons that we might choose them. But later on down the line, when we look back across the life that we've lived, we realize that that one decision that may have even seemed arbitrary in that moment has made all of the difference in our lives, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty, And as Frost is looking down this path, he, he notices that, that no one has walked down either of them that morning. The leaves are still there. They haven't been stepped on or trodden on. But he has to make a choice. And the choice is his to make. Well, you see, in life, we've got lots of different choices. And I frankly, often when I think of the choices that need to be made, fall back on Proverbs chapter 3, in which the writer of the Proverbs, Solomon, we believe, wrote that we are to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways to acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. You see, as a believer, when I come to that fork in the road, 
I don't have to figure out which is the better path. I just have to figure out which path was it that Jesus took. And whichever path he walked down, that's the path I want to walk down too. But before you can come to that point where you simply follow the path that Jesus took, which, by the way, is the path less traveled by. We read in the Gospels that wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and few are they who find it. So the path that Jesus took is the road less traveled by. It's the narrow path, and that's the one that we're to follow. But before I can simply follow him wherever he goes, I have to make the decision to follow him in the first place. That is the fork in the road that each and every one of us must come to in life. Am I going to follow the path that Jesus walked or am I going to follow the way of the world? Which way will I go? And that choice is presented to people throughout the scripture. We find that choice offered again and again and again, and people have the responsibility to respond to God's ability. Amen? You see, salvation comes from God, but it is up to us to determine whether we receive that gift or reject it. We take no credit for it. We have no ability to save ourselves. It is God who saves us. It is he who gave the gift of his son to pay the price for your sin and mine. Amen? But if someone gives you a gift, that gift came from them, just as the gift of salvation comes from God. But you have to choose whether you're going to open that gift or not, don't you? Well, Jesus is our gift, the salvation that he purchased, the present that God desires to give to us because of his great love for us. But he's also given us in his sovereignty the opportunity to choose. Now, the passage that we ended with last week and the one that I asked you to open to this morning is Roman, Romans chapter 10. And in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse one today for context, Paul is writing about his love for the children of Israel. And he says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You see, the Jewish people used to think that in order to be righteous, you had to perfectly keep the law of God. The problem with that is no one can. We do not have the capacity within our human nature, which is, by the way, synonymous with our sinful nature. People say, I'm only human. That's like saying I'm only sinful. Well, yeah. We lack the capacity for perfect obedience. And there is no one who is made righteous through the keeping of the law because no one can perfectly keep it. And yet Israel was still trying to do so. But in verse four, Paul wrote, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. 
Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from heaven, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? What does faith say? What does the righteousness that comes as the result of faith in your life being manifested, what does that say? It says this, verse eight, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Doesn't say you might be, doesn't say you could be, doesn't say there's a possibility that you might be one of the ones who is. No, it says that if, I'm going to read it again, because these are not my words. These are the words of Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit and written in the scriptures, which is the word of God. And this is what Paul wrote again in verse nine. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him, whoever believes on him, whoever believes on him. Is there anyone too bad? Is there anyone too far gone? Is there anyone who is beyond the reach of God's saving grace? No, not if they will believe. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. What is the prerequisite to be a recipient of that grace? It is that you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever calls, verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Now, Paul's words in part are actually coming from the Old Testament. They're coming, in fact, from the book of Deuteronomy. Let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30. I'd like you to see where these words are coming from. In fact, let's go ahead and go back to chapter 29. Deuteronomy 29, we'll start in verse 11. No, I'm sorry, verse 30. We'll go to chapter 30, verse 11. I, I misread. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. Now, just to, to, to let you know what's going on in this passage, Moses is coming to the end of his life and he's got the children of Israel before him and he is passing on to them these final thoughts. He, he wants them to understand what it is that the Lord expects and what he has in store for them. And in verse 11 of chapter 30, Moses writes, for this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. 
It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your heart. Excuse me. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Sound familiar? These are the very verses that Paul is quoting in Romans chapter 10. He's saying, listen, the word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. You know what God is calling you to do. Now, in verse 15, he gives them an exhortation to make a choice. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you are to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the, and the length of your days, and, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So he is set before the children of Israel a choice. He's saying, listen, I'm giving you a very clear choice here. You have life, and, and good or death and evil. You will either hear the words of God and live by them, or you will refuse to hear the words of God and stray from them and worship other gods. If you are faithful to the Lord your God, then he will bless you in the land that you're about to enter. But if you are unfaithful to him, he will ultimately drive you from the land that you were about to enter. You see, he had shown them that there were blessings on the one hand and curses on the other that there was life on the one hand and death on the other, that there was following and serving the Lord their God on the one hand and going their own way and doing their own thing and worshiping false gods on the other. And he told them to choose. And he wasn't the last one to do so. After Moses died, it was Joshua who led the children into the promised land. It was Joshua who led the armies of Israel as they defeated nation after nation after nation. It was Joshua who helped to establish the nation of Israel and to deliver to them the inheritance that God had promised. And it was Joshua, shortly before his time came to an end, who stood before Israel and gave them another opportunity to make that choice. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. In Joshua chapter 24, we read that Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem 
and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads and their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. Now, I want to point out to you that at the time that Joshua is sharing this, it's quite likely, now that we've come to the end of his life, that Caleb has already preceded him in death, and that every other Israelite that had been present for these events had also preceded him in death. So as Joshua is sharing these words, he is the last living Israelite to have experienced them. And he's passing on this testimony to those that would go beyond him and live on after he was gone. And in verse seven, he says, so they cried out to the Lord and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hands that you might possess the land and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, <coughs> the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also, the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them. You eat the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. So again, Joshua gives them this choice. He's like, listen, you've got a choice to make. You are standing at a fork in the road. Will you serve the Lord your God and fear him? Or will you serve yourself and the false gods that the peoples before you had served? Joshua says, look, you do what you want. 
But as for me and for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That was Joshua's declaration. And the people said, oh, we're going to serve the Lord too. Yeah, but you know what? They did for a while and then they didn't. And then God brought judgment and they were under persecution and then they cried out to God and he would raise up a judge and that, that man or woman would deliver them from their oppressors. And again, for a while, they would serve the Lord. But then when that judge died, they would go back to doing what they... So there was this back and forth in the hearts of the children of Israel. And it persisted. And so it became necessary many, many years later for this choice to be offered to them yet again. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. While you're turning there, I'll set the stage. By the time of 1 Kings the nation of Israel had, divide, had been divided into two different nations. You had the nation of Israel and you had the nation of Judah. And in the nation of Israel, there was a king by the name of Ahab who was married to a woman by the name of Jezebel and they were wicked people. And they led Israel astray and they led them to worship the false gods of Baal and Ashtoreth. They were engaged in all types of pagan idolatry and worship. And the Lord brought judgment upon the land through his prophet, through the man Elijah. And he declared that it would not rain except at Elijah's word for three years. And for three years, it didn't rain. And it finally came to the point where the Lord said, okay, Elijah, it's time. You need to go and see Ahab. You need to get all the people together up there on Mount Carmel. And it's time to give them a choice. And here's what we read in 1 Kings chapter 18. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in Samaria and Ahab had called Obadiah who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly For so it was that while Jezebel had massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and he had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. And Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went the other way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him and he recognized him and he fell on his face and said, is that you, my Lord Elijah? So you see, Obadiah really did fear the Lord, even though he worked for a lousy boss who did not. And in verse eight, Elijah answered him and said, it is I go and tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, that is Obadiah said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. And the Lord, please don't do this to me. Was, was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here. He'll kill me. 
Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Isn't that funny? Ahab's the one who brought all the trouble, isn't it? And yet he's accusing Elijah of bringing the trouble. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. In that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? In other words, how long are you going to stand at that fork in the woods and ask yourself, which one of these two should I go down? Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, right? There you are, you're at the point of decision, the fork in the road. Am I gonna go this way or am I gonna go that way? Am I gonna serve the Lord and submit my life to him? Or am I gonna maintain control of my own life and go my own way and do my own thing? We have a choice to make, no less than they had a choice to make. And that choice ultimately comes down to whether or not we're going to submit our lives to God through Jesus Christ whether or not we're going to receive the salvation that he offers. But for those of us who are Christians, we also have a choice to make, and that is whether or not I'm going to follow God through the daily decisions of my life, or if I'm going to be rebellious and take some detour that I think might be a better idea in a given moment. Will I trust the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding? Will I acknowledge him in all my ways so that he can direct my path? Or am I going to stand there at the fork of the road and instead of asking, what does God want me to do? Ask, what do I feel like doing? Because it isn't about what I feel like doing. For the believer, the question is, what would God have me do? And so Elijah asks them the question, In verse 21, he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered not a word. Now, if this were my text, there'd be a lot more to cover this morning. But this isn't my text. It's simply an example. And so the example that I'm trying to give you is this. We cannot stand there at the fork in the road faltering between two opinions. Are we going to follow God or are we going to go our own way? Now, there are some of us, there are many of us who have said things like, well, I want to follow God, but then we go our own way anyway. And when we do that, frankly, we're lying to ourselves, We're saying we took one road when in fact our feet are traveling down another. You can say, I'm going to go down this road, but if you take the wrong off ramp, that's not the road you're going down no matter how many times you say it, right? We know where we are based on where we've gone, not where we said we were going to go. So again, the words of Elijah to the people, How long 
Will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Is the Lord your God? If he is your God, if he is your savior, then follow him. Then go where he says to go. Do what he says to do. Say what he tells you to say. And you say, well, that's very restrictive. You know what? It wasn't restrictive to Jesus. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see the father doing it. And the words I speak, they're not mine, but I heard them from my father. In other words, Jesus did what the father told him to do. And he said what the father told him to say. And he is our Lord and master. Is the servant greater than his master? If Jesus submitted himself to the will of the father and we claim to be born again in Jesus Christ, then ought we not also submit ourselves to the will of the father? Or is our relationship with God simply lip service? Are we saying to him, Lord, Lord, but then not doing what he says to do. Jesus brought out this very point. Turn with me. To Matthew chapter 7. Verse 13. In Matthew 7, 13, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In other words, what our lives produce demonstrates what we are. It isn't our words simply that demonstrate who or what we are. It's the fruit of our lives that demonstrate who and whose we are. Verse 17, he says, even so every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That doesn't say you who stumble and sin and get back up again. It says you who practice lawlessness. That is you who make lawlessness your lifestyle. He says, therefore, verse 24 Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, 
I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I want you to notice something. Both the person who built their house on the rock and the person who built their house on the sand, both of them experienced the wind and the rain. You see, the trials of life are going to enter into every life. But whether or not you survive whether or not you carry on, whether or not you stand firm is going to depend upon where you've built that house. Those who build their house on the sand, well, guess what? When those trials come, they are devastated. But those whose houses are built upon the rock of Jesus Christ and their faith in him know that, yes, there will be trials in this life. Yes, there will be difficulties that we have to face, but we stand secure. The The psalmist says it this way, when I am overwhelmed, that means when the flood waters are just all around me, he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Amen? Lead me to the one who can be strong in the midst of the storm. That is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles one last time to Hebrews chapter 12. You see, there is a difference between us and between Robert Frost's narrator who is standing there in that yellow wood at the place where two paths diverge. And that is is that he looks down both of those paths and he sees that neither one of those paths have been walked down that day. That the leaves on both paths are as yet not trodden black by any foot that has passed that way. But you see, that is not our experience because there is someone who has gone down the path before us. And if we will look at those two paths, we will discern if we have a heart and a mind to that Jesus went that way. Amen? The word of God testifies to us of the way in which Jesus walked in submission to his father. And we read in Hebrews chapter 12, the following exhortation. He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author of and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And the way that he went is the way that we are to go. Amen? Salvation has been offered to you. Salvation that costs you nothing. 
you, if you will simply repent of your sins, if you will believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says you will be saved. But you stand there if you have not come to that decision yet, at that fork in the road, and you alone can decide which one you're going to travel down. I exhort you today. I implore you today. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Make peace with the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. All you've got to do is call upon his name And the scripture tells us you will be saved. Now, if you have been saved, let me encourage you in this also. You face any number of decisions each and every day in your life. That is the big decision, but every day we face other decisions that we have to make. And those decisions come down to the question, will I go my own way or will I follow God's path? Don't stand too long at that fork in the road. But purpose in your heart right now, today, that you're going to set aside that weight and you're going to lay aside that sin which so easily ensnares you and that you're not going to walk down that path, but you're going to run down that path with endurance, following after Jesus Christ, living the way he would want you to live, speaking the things that he would want you to speak, forgiving others the way that he would want you to forgive others, showing love and grace and kindness the way that he would want you to show love and grace and kindness. Why? Because if you are born again, then you recognize the fact that you are not your own, but that you have been bought with a price and that the one who died for you now expects you to live for him. Not so that you can be saved, but because you were saved and because he has a purpose and a plan for your life. Amen. We don't have to be stalled out at some fork in the road, but we can commit our way to God and walk boldly after Jesus Christ, our Lord and savior. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Heavenly father, Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross for our sins, paying the price for everything that we have ever done wrong. Lord, we thank you that your word says that if we will confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we come to you this morning thankful for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, grateful for the gift that you have given and honored that you loved us so much that you sent him to die in our place. Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to follow you. Help us to trust in you with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. Help us in all of our ways to acknowledge you. And Lord, we trust that if we do that, you will direct our paths. Lord, we stand this morning at a, at a crossroads for some people. It is entirely possible that there are some here in this very building, and if not, perhaps some listening online that have not made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, that have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is entirely possible, Lord, this morning, that there are those here today who have not called upon your name, who have not previously believed that you are Lord or confessed that they believe that you were raised from the dead. Lord, if there are those here this morning 
whom those words apply to, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move upon their hearts right now. That you would bring conviction of sin. That you would bring a realization of the love that you have for them. That they would feel the great desire that you have to be reconciled together. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to accomplish that purpose in their hearts right now. And I just want you to know that if that's you this morning, I'm not going to ask you to, to come down to the altar or to make some big scene. I'm not asking you to make some grand profession of faith. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to make a decision about which path you're going to walk down. Are you going to go your own way or are you going to follow Jesus? I want to ask you to make a decision right now. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that, that he died for your sins and that on the third day he rose from the grave? Are you willing and ready to confess him and to admit that he is your Lord and savior and to demonstrate the reality of that profession of faith by following him? If, if that's you this morning, I want you to just make that decision in your heart. And then sometime today, tell someone else about the decision that you've made. Jesus said that if you deny me before men, then I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. But if you confess me before men, then I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. So if you need to be saved, if you need to be forgiven for your sins, if you want to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning through which you can be reconciled to God the Father, then believe the word that has been spoken and respond to it by acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then tell somebody today that you have made that decision. Lord, we pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would equip us for every good work that you have called us to. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.